Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Creepy and Paranormal Show. Today is episode number 22 or number 23, I think. I actually can't remember offhand at the moment, but yeah, time is flying by and uh, really enjoying doing the episodes on a more regular basis now. And speaking about the episodes, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode about the Bermuda Triangle. If you haven't watched it, I recommend you go and give it a watch and have a look at it. But today we're going to be shifting gears a little and going into a disappearance case, which is the disappearance of John Gosh, which is quite a crazy story to say the least. If you haven't heard about it, you're really going to love it. And if you have heard about it, well, you're probably going to love it even more this time around. Well, let's not delay anymore. Cue the intro. Samson woke up today feeling sad. He'll never forget that morning 35 years ago in West Des Moines when 12-year-old Johnny Gosh vanished from this street corner near Valley High School. The rubber bands from the Des Moines Sunday Register and the wagon he carried the newspapers in, the only evidence he was here. It's something that's embedded in our generation's mind and hopefully we'll pass it on to the kids that are now raising their kids. Samson wrote about the Gosh case for the West Des Moines Express newspaper back in the 80s. He became friends with Johnny's parents, John and Noreen. I think that our son was taken off the corner of 42nd and Marcourt. I don't believe for one minute that he ran away or walked voluntarily with anyone. He just wouldn't do that. Day after day, police and volunteers searched for Johnny, but the days turned into weeks, months, and years. Theories of kidnapping and sex rings have come and gone. The case even inspired the first missing pictures on milk cartons, thanks to Anderson, Erickson, Derry. That's the incredible thing. After 35 years, there is not clue one. Still a very much active case. West Des Moines Police spokesman Sergeant Mike Impolo says the department still receives tips in the case, but nothing yet to solve the crime. We still follow the leads on this case, just like we do every other, even... John David Gosh was born November 12, 1969, and then went on to disappear on September 5, 1982. He was a paperboy in West Des Moines, Iowa, and he disappeared without a trace between 6 and 7 a.m. on September 5, 1982. He's presumed to be kidnapped, and as of 2022, there have been no arrests made, and the case is now considered cold, but is still open. His mother, Noreen Gosh, said that Johnny escaped from his captors and visited her with an unidentified man in 1997. She said that her son told her that he had been the victim of a pedophile organization and had been cast aside when he was too old, but subsequently feared for his life and lived under an assumed identity, feeling it was not safe to return home. To Gosh's father, who was called John, went on to divorce Noreen since 1993. 
He went on to publicly state that he is not so sure whether or not such a visit actually occurred. And many have also speculated that the visit did occur, but it was in fact someone else pretending to be Johnny. Authorities have not located Gosh or confirmed Noreen Gosh's account, and his fate continues to be the subject of speculation, conspiracy theories, as well as dispute. The case received huge publicity in 2006, when his mother said she had found photographs on her doorstep depicting Gosh in captivity. Now, some of the photos received were said to be children from a case in Florida, but one boy in the photo was never identified. Noreen Gosh insists that that boy is Johnny. Gosh's picture was among the first to be fe featured on milk cartons as part of a campaign to find missing children. Now, I'm pretty sure you've seen those kind of pictures where a kid's face is on the side of a milk carton. Um, they're not so common today unless you're using like your long life milks and that because they normally come in those plastic two litre containers. But they used to be on those like cardboard uh, cartons, milk cartons, and on the side used to be a missing word and there was a child's face on there. So it was used to get a lot of publicity across the nation on missing cases. So yeah, if you're still fairly young, you might have not seen these before. But if you're from the older generation, you definitely know what I'm talking about. Right, let's get into the events that lead up to Johnny's disappearance. On Sunday morning, September 5, 1982, in the suburb of West Des Moines, Johnny Gosh left his home before dawn to begin his paper route. Although it was customary for Johnny to awaken his father to help with the route, the boy took only the family's miniature dachshund, Gretchen. And that morning when he left, other paper carriers for the Des Moines Register would later report having seen Gosh at the paper drop, picking up his newspapers. It was the last sighting of Johnny that can be corroborated by multiple witnesses. Another paper boy who was named Mark reported that he observed Johnny talking to a stocky man in a blue two-tone car near the paper drop. Another witness, John Rossi, said that he saw the man in the blue car talking to Johnny and thought something was strange. Johnny told Rossi that the man was asking for directions and asked Rossi to help. Rossi looked at the license plate but could not recall seeing the plate number. He said, I keep hoping I'll wake up in the middle of the night and see that number on the license plate as distinctly as night and day. But that hasn't happened. Rossi underwent hypnosis even and told police some of the numbers that the plate was also that the plate was from Warren County, Iowa. As Johnny walked a block north, where his route started, Mark noticed another man following Johnny. A neighbor heard a door slam and saw a silver Ford Fairmont speed away northwards from where Johnny's wagon was found. John and Noreen Gosh, who is Johnny's parents, began receiving phone calls from customers along their son's route, complaining of undelivered newspapers. Johnny performed a cursory search of the neighborhood around 6 a.m. and he immediately found Johnny's wagon full of newspapers two blocks from their home. The Goshes immediately contacted the West Des Moines Police Department and reported that Johnny had disappeared. Noreen, in her public statements and her book Why Johnny Can't Come Home, has been critical of what she perceives as a slow reaction time from authorities and of the policy at the time that Gosh could not be classified as a missing person until 72 hours had passed. By her estimation, the police did not arrive to take her report for a full 45 minutes. 
So really we're starting to see a similar pattern to most cases where there's a bit of shitty police work happening. But before we continue with the story, I think let's take our first ad break. Everybody has their own morning routines, but on the top of my list is coffee. Strong, hot, black coffee. I physically can't start the day without a cup. However, sometimes life gets in the way and you're forced to buy a cup of coffee while on the road. And if you're like me, you struggle to find one that tastes good and is affordable. Well now, there is a one-stop solution for you. Homeground Coffee. The name is brilliant and so is the service. Situated at Benoni Northern Sports Ground, it's a nice central point for your morning commute. And why not get a delicious muffin or pie to go along with it? Homeground Coffee is the perfect go-to and I advise you strongly to give them a try. When you do, let them know that I sent you. Find them on Facebook at Homeground Coffee as well as Instagram. That's Homeground Coffee, H-O-M-E-G-R-O-U-N-D. Initially, the police came to believe that Johnny was just a runaway, but later they changed their statement and suggested that he was actually kidnapped. But they were unable to establish a viable motive. They turned up little evidence and arrested no suspects in connection with the case. And a few months after his, after his disappearance, Noreen Gosh had said her son was spotted in Oklahoma when a boy yelled to a woman for help before being dragged off by two men. Over the years, several private investigators have assisted the Goshes with their search for their son. Among them are Jim Rothstein, a retired New York City police detective, as well as Ted Gunderson, retired chief of the LA FBI branch. In 1984, Gosh's photograph appeared alongside that of Juanita Lee Estevez on milk cartons across America. They were the second and third abducted children to have their plots publicized in this way. The first was Eaton Pats. On an August 12, 1984, Gene Martin, another Des Moines area paperboy, disappeared under similar circumstances. He disappeared while delivering newspapers on the south side of Des Moines. Now, authorities were unable to prove a connection between the three cases, yet Noreen Gosh says that she was personally informed of their abduction a few months in advance by a private investigator who was searching for her son. She was told the kidnapping would take place the second, week in, second weekend in August 1984 and it would be a paperboy from the south side of Des Moines. In 1985, Noreen received a letter from Robert Herman Mayer II on 19 of Saginaw, Michigan. The letter had been signed Samuel Forbes Dakota, whereupon Mayer, acting as Dakota, stated that he was a guard in a motorcycle club when Gosh's son disappeared in September 1982. And according to Mayer, Gosh's son was taken as part of a large child slavery ring operated by the club. And according to the FBI, Mayer requested from and received $11,000 from the Goshes. Mayer additionally went on to request $100,000 more, along with the promise that he would then return their son. Mayer, the piece of shit, was then arrested in Buffalo at the Canadian border by FBI agents and was later charged with fraud by wire. The layer the letter that Mayo had wrote had stated that Gosh's son was sold to a man whom Mayo identified as a high-level drug dealer residing in Mexico City. Despite the accusation of fraud, Noreen Gosh reportedly believed Mayo at his word, 
and later criticised the FBI, stating that the arrest warrant against Mayer destroyed her and her husband John's credibility with anyone who would take the couple's offer to pay ransom for their boy. According to Noreen Gosh's account, she was awakened around 2.30am one morning in March 1997 by a knock at her apartment door. Waiting outside was Johnny Gosh, who was now 27 years old, accompanied by an unidentified man. Gosh said she immediately recognized her son, who opened his shirt to reveal a birthmark on his chest. We talked about an hour or an hour and a half. He was with another man, but I have no idea who the person was. Johnny would look over to the other person for approval to speak, says Gosh. He didn't say where he is living or where he was going. And in 2005 interview, Gosh said the night that he came here, he was wearing jeans and a shirt and had a coat on because it was March. It was cold and his hair was long. It was shoulder length and it was straight and dyed black. After the visit, she had the FBI create a picture she says that looked like Johnny. I think let's break away from the story for a quick bit just to thank our next sponsors. Today's sponsor is called Invoice Cloud. Now, this is really awesome if you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, or even a freelancer. You know how difficult it is to manage and then create those invoices for your customers. But with Invoice Cloud, you have everything you need to create simple, professional estimates on the fly. It's easy to use and understand and getting rid of all the nonsense so you can have more time to do what matters most, which is to grow your business. Invoice Cloud allows you to add your company details, logo, customer information, as well as products, making it a breeze to send estimates to your clients anytime, anywhere. Now, if you want to start your free seven-day trial and get invoicing in just under five minutes, all you need to do is head over to invoicecloud.co.za and boom, you are sorted. That's invoicecloud.co.za. Right, let's get back to the story. Now, I don't know so much if he really was there visiting his mother. I mean, this just seems all a bit weird. She never once asked where he was going or where he had been. Um, in that whole hour or hour and a half she spoke to him, as well as asking who the guy was. Now, surely, surely, if your child had been missing for this this amount of time, all these years, I think it was like 14 years or 15 years, whatever the case may be. You're telling me you're not going to hold on to the last slither of hope that you have, which is seeing your son. You think a man with your son is going to stop you from keeping him there? I don't know. I just don't buy that at all. I think maybe um, due to all the grief and heartache she had suffered, this was her manifesting this in her dream or in her mind, and she just came to stick to the story because it was something that she could hold on to um, a memory of her son possibly I don't know I don't know it just doesn't all tie up to me now Johnny's mom went on to self-publish a book in 2000 titled why Johnny can't come home and the book presents her understanding of what her son went through based on the original research of various private investigators as well as her son's visit and on September 1 2006 Gosh reported that she found photographs left at her front door, some of which she posted on her website. And one color photo shows three boys bound and gagged. She says that a black and white photo appears to show 12-year-old Johnny Gosh with his mouth gagged, his hands and feet tied, 
and an apparent human brand on his shoulder. A third photograph shows a man possibly dead who may have something tied around his neck. Mrs. Gosh stated that the man was one of the perpetrators who molested her son. Gosh later said the first two photos had originated on a website featuring child pornography. On September 13, an anonymous letter was mailed to Des Moines Police, and this is what the letter had to say. Gentlemen, someone has played a reprehensible joke on a grieving mother. The photo in question is not one of her son, but of three boys in Tampa, Florida, about 1979 to 1980, challenging each other to an escape contest. There was an investigation concerning that picture, made by the Hillsborough County FL Sheriff's Office. No charges were ever filed, and no wrongdoing was established. The lead detective on the case was named Zalva. This allegation should be an easy enough for you to check out. Nelson Zalva, who worked for the Hillsborough County Florida Sheriff's Office in the 1970s, went on to say that the details of the letter were true and adds that he also investigated the black and white photograph in 1978. And before Gosh's disappearance, I interviewed the kids and they said there was no coercing or touching. I could never prove a crime, said Zalva. When asked for proof that this was indeed the same photo from the investigation nearly three decades prior, Zalva could not provide any, and according to the documentary film Who Took Johnny in 2014, only three boys in the pictures were identified by law enforcement, but not the one thought to be Johnny. Noreen Gosh still believes the pictures to be of her son. In 1989, 21-year-old Paul Abernachy told his attorney John DeCamp that he had been abducted into a sex ring with Gosh as a teenager and was forced to participate in Gosh's kidnapping. John DeCamp met with Bonacci and believed that he was telling the truth. Noreen later met him and said to be and said that he told her things. He could only have known if he was actually talking about her son. He said that Johnny had a birthmark on his chest, a scar on his tongue, and a burn scar on his lower leg. Although a description of the birthmark had been wildly circulated, Information about the scars had actually not been made public either, so Bonacci also described the stammer that Johnny had had when he was upset. The FBI and local police do not believe that Bonacci is a credible witness though, and in the case, and have not interviewed him. His siblings told police he was at home when Gosh was actually abducted, so that wouldn't have even tied up with the timeline. The case went on to generate national interest as Noreen Gosh became increasingly vocal about the inadequacy of law enforcement's investigation of missing children's cases. She established the Johnny Gosh Foundation in 1982, through which she visited schools and spoke at seminars about the modus operandi of sexual predators. She lobbied for the Johnny Gosh Bill, state legislation which would have had mandated an immediate police response to reports of missing children. The bill became law in Iowa in 1984 and similar or identical laws were later on passed in Missouri as well as several other states. In August 1984, Noreen Gosh testified in Senate hearings on organized crime, speaking about organized pedophilia and its presumed role in her son's abduction. She began receiving death threats. Gosh also testified before the U.S. Department of Justice, which provided $10 million to establish the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Gosh was invited to the White House 
by President Ronald Reagan for the dedication ceremony. So while I might think her story about her son coming to visit her with the unknown man in the middle of the night is a lot of hogwash, I do think she has done a lot of good in terms of uh, lobbying for you know missing children and having the police act on these missing cases much quicker than waiting 72 hours. I know growing up I remember seeing plenty of stories of you couldn't report someone missing until 48 hours or 72 hours and I'm like it's absolutely nuts because in that amount of time people can go missing so quickly and be taken so far and by the time the police investigation starts the kids are gone and completely lost or sold on um, I think it ties into the Madeleine McCain story as well we just know how much shitty police work happened there and how long things took to really get the ball rolling so like I say I think his mom has really done fantastic work there's not much more information on what the father has actually done and that's not to have a dig at him to say he hasn't done anything I just there's a lot of public information about what the mom has done to try and find her son as getting involved so yeah guys that's where we're going to leave the story today um as I said as of 2022 which is our current year there is still no actual sighting of him um they have done that age progression photo to see what he would have looked like today but i don't know i'd like to know what really happened to him i do believe he is still out there somewhere alive hopefully maybe he's still living under captivity um but like like i say uh, i hope for his sake he's still alive and that one day he can be reunited with his family on that note if you ever have some spare time on your hands, go and do a bit of research online and just look for missing people in your area and just get familiar with their faces so that maybe you might come across them one day out in public at the shops or whatever the case may be and you could possibly help solve a case or help bring that child back to their family. There's a lot of missing cases, especially here in South Africa. Uh, and a lot of them are not documented properly at the police station just because their police are so... Um, inundated with so many other queries that sometimes those kind of things just get swept aside so yeah guys keep your eyes peeled for stories like that and uh, just report anything suspicious you never know what your tip may lead to and um, on that note we're going to wrap up the show thank you once again for your support for listening for staying true to the show Please don't forget to like, subscribe and share the hell out of this video and hopefully we can share it wide and across the world um, a shout out to my listeners in canada new zealand australia us philippines and china it's really incredible to know that people across the world are listening to me talking about some weird stories sometimes um, it's crazy to think i actually have listeners across the world so shout out to you guys thank you so much i do appreciate it and uh, yeah please keep sharing it with your friends and family and if you'd like to make any donations to the show, I really would appreciate it as I am looking to try and upgrade my recording equipment and studio so that I can bring you better content in the future. Guys, as always, thank you so much and don't forget to look under your bed tonight.